So you're all recovered from the other night, Scottapalooza? I am. Are you? I didn't do anything bad, but I was still aching. At some point, I got old. Sometime, sometime in the last 40-something years, I got old. But uh, happy birthday, Scott. Happy birthday, Mr. Scott, also known as what? Goddamn American Treasure. Yes, he is. So, you're listening to the Give Me Five Podcast, episode 210. Yep, this is the Give Me Five podcast. We are a bi-weekly podcast. We review the things you loved today and the things you loved yesterday. And today, we're actually reviewing something you might have loved and possibly could still love. Uh, Pop-Tarts? Yes, we're reviewing Swiss- Pop-Tarts. Swiss cake rolls? I like those. Those are delicious. Yeah. Star Crunch. Mmm, I did oh, love Oh, man, Star Crunch. My name is Peter Vincent, and I'm joined by Brewster. Oh, why do I have to be the annoying guy? If you need to ask, you're not paying. I'm not rummaging through anyone's stuff. Uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, one, our other host, Omar, uh, he is uh, definitely not at his neighbor's house thinking the neighbor is a vampire. He is not. I think his neighbor is a vampire and has ripped his internet out of the wall. I think that's what the problem is. Yeah. The neighbor ripped the internet out of the wall. He is He's currently standing just looking out of his window at his neighbor's house while... With binoculars. With While the, an adorable girl next door takes off her shirt in his bed. And he's like, hold on, I think that my neighbor might be a vampire. Yes. That's what's happening. What are you doing? Put your clothes back on, you freak. Yeah. That's what he's saying to the cute girl who is in his bed while he looks out his window through binoculars at a dude. It's true. Who he thinks might be a Two vampire. dudes, actually. Two dudes. Because um, <laughs> that's Omar's dream. <laughs> so, uh... uh what, what tonight we, we are talking about, of course, Fright Night. This is a review show, and we're going to talk about interesting facts and other things about Fright Night. Uh, this is – you can think of this as like special features for your viewing of Fright Night, which you absolute, absolutely should do. But if you are not planning on watching Fright Night and you are planning on getting pissed off about spoilers, just be prepared that I will turn you into a vampire. And if you decide you want to watch that 2011 pale comparison, Colin Farrell crap, may God have pity on your soul. Yeah, you are not approved by the Give Me Five podcast to do that. So, uh, let's, uh, I'm going to talk about Fright Night here. You ready? Let's, let's talk about some Fright Night. 
So, Fright Night, it is an American Gothic horror film, and it was released in 1985. Mm. Uh, there was a 1988 sequel, which I absolutely 100% forgot about until I saw the poster, which was like a very pale white female face with just like eyes and like yep. vampire teeth. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. It's it's almost the exact same like cloud-like figure hanging above a different house. Yes. Uh, the poster for this movie is incredible. It's, I would say it's better than the movie itself, but that's not saying that the uh, movie is bad. It's a great no. piece of art. It's just a great piece of artwork. It, it's very well designed, and it, it's very distinctive, and it sticks with you. I, I definitely did remember the cover art and the poster for this as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was an 88 sequel, Friday Night Part 2. There was an unofficial Indian remake in 1989. And, of course, official remakes that Rob just mentioned in 2011 and 2013. And the less we say about them, the better. Uh, it, of course, it was a surprise hit. So there was, you know, this was post-Star Wars. So there, of course, is tapes, CDs, videos, DVDs, Blu-rays, figurines, T-shirts, and books from this movie. So, you know, there is, there's a little bit of merch. It's kind of hard to find, but it's out there. Uh, trading cards. I did. I did look at some trading cards. Really? Cool. Yeah. There was trading cards for like all of the horror movies, which if you go to our Instagram page, you can see the the covers of the package or something. Oh shit! Yeah. So it's all the '80s horror movies in one like trading card set, and apparently it's, they're not that expensive. So I'm gonna keep an eye out since I'm going to that horror convention this weekend. Oh, is that this weekend? Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that eventually. I assume. Uh, fright. Fright Night, as I said, was a breakout hit of the summer, um, and the popularity, of course, has kind of continued. People like the movie. There's not didn't fall into the oh well, this movie sucks. Uh, kind of all the a lot of the other movies of the '80s people watch like because they're bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not talking about Gremlins or Ghostbusters or anything like that. This one was actually on the good side. Um, I'm talking about like you know the 19th Friday the 13th kind of thing. The straight-to-video ones. Um, the visual effects were actually pretty good, and they were the first thing that Richard Edlund worked on after working on Ghostbusters. So he did Ghostbusters, oh. and then he did this, um, which could explain why some of them were really actually very cool. So that's just a little intro to Fright Night. Um, and uh, I guess I didn't really say it, but this did come out uh, August 2nd of 1985. So it was little early for halloween but it was close so who is in this movie and who no well it? well now wait a minute who directed it well apparently tom holland but not that tom holland spider-man directed it that spider-man would have been not born yet that tom from, holland from his daddy's ball sack he directed it, it was very weird him giving instructions sigh it his does dad, star his dad had to hold a little tiny megaphone down near his crotch <laughs> now i'm picturing a little tiny megaphone <laughs> being held by somebody's crotch oh yes i can see that picture but it does star a completely underrated chris sarandon yeah we are gonna go into him well let's just do it right now we may as well I mean, it's not like Omar's here to fuck it up. 
<laughs> you be nice to him. <laughs> He's currently smashing his internet connection. Uh, Chris Sarandon. I wasn't expecting this. I'm scrolling. Um, I it I forgot how good he was in this, and he, I forgot I didn't I didn't really know it was him. I didn't know much really about him. Is and he he does play the uh, suave vampire very well. I must say, yeah, great with, with the little hint of menace. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, he of course Princess Bride, your favorite movie. Yep. I when we started Humber doing. Dick. When we started doing a little more research, um, apparently he was, uh, which I did not know this somehow, that he was he's Jack the Pumpkin King or Jack Skellington. Yeah, you told me that. I couldn't believe it. I was like, no shit, really? Uh, he's, of course, play, he has played a vampire again on some Ninja Turtles episodes. He, like, played Dracula, which is kind of a cool little thing. Mm-hmm. But, like, he got into this role. He came up with certain things in this role. Like, the apple eating thing was kind of his thing. Um, did you see his reasoning for e- eating a bunch of apples during this movie? Mm-mm. That since vampires can turn Keeps into deeply. yeah, since vampires can turn into bats, he was, uh, I guess, thought that he that his character would have some fruit bat DNA in him, <laughs> and that he was cleansing his palate. So technically, the teeth cleaning thing wasn't wrong. He was cleansing his palate with the apples. So kind of an interesting little take on that. Okay. Which is why there's apples littering the entire movie. Um and it's it, it's it's really funny to watch him take like one giant bite of an apple and like throw it at Brewster. Yeah. Uh when he heard about this movie, his agent gave him a copy of the script and he's like there's no way I can do a horror movie. Um and then he read the script and he was like immediately captivated by it. It was one of those like you start reading it and don't want to put it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said it's, it's one of the best scripts he had read in a long time, um, and it's it's pretty sound to be honest. Like, people it's, are like it, honestly, it's not a bad movie. Yeah, uh, he hadn't really been in much at this point, but he was the lover in Dog Day Afternoon at this point. Okay, um, which was, uh, I'm, I, do you know that movie? Um, I know of it. Yeah, that's a Pacino movie, right? Pacino movie where he goes to rob a bank. And yeah. he's trying, and he's trying to get money to get his his lover a sex change operation, and that's Chris Sarandon. So, oh, okay. which is interesting because there is some gay subtext to this movie, at least according to the mom of uh, of the main, of the main character, mm-hmm. where she's like, "Oh, two men just moved in next door. My luck, they'll be gay." That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and apparently, the director was hinting at that. Um, particularly the one window scene, but neither of the actors played it that way because none of them were let on to the fact that that's what the director was going for. Ah. You're, you're talking about where he was where he was uh, working on his hand? I think so, where he was like... I think he was higher up in the... In the uh, yeah, I think it was that, where you see it through the window. Yeah, and the guy's like on his knees like, like yes. while, he's ble- while he's bleeding from his hand, while he's tending to his hand? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I I didn't see it that way either. I yeah, which I completely either. read that relationship as the the other guy is uh, Renfield, Jerry. Okay, yeah, Renfield is Jerry Dandridge's like um, familiar or protector. That's or... what that's what I read it as too. Okay, like yeah, it was a, a his, familiar... his daytime guardian basically. Yeah, like I'm gonna go out and find prostitutes for you during the day while you sleep. His servant. And... So anyway, um, 
he really liked the, the script, and then he realized the script was being directed by a um, a first-time director. So he was like, ah. okay. So he flew out to Los Angeles and met with the with Tom Holland and producer Herb Jaffe, and and he said, uh, "I loved you in Avengers." Yes, eventually. <laughs> um, and he basically the the director just was like, "Look, this is what we're gonna do," and he described the movie shot by shot by shot by shot. And he was like, okay, this guy's a first-time director, but he knows his shit. And they ended up working together quite a bit. So, But when people think about good actors of the 80s, there's a bunch of names you tend to hear. Mm-hmm. Obviously the big names, but then you know we've, we've talked about, uh, shit, the guy from Aliens. Bill Paxton? Uh, no. Uh, uh, Lance Henriksen? Also no. <laughs> um... He's which, not seen. Which one? Be specific. The main, the main one, the one that like really kind of doesn't treat. Uh, what's your face like? Paul shit. Reiser. No. <laughs> ah. You talking sure, about the you talk you talking about the first Alien or Aliens? Aliens. He's the guy that's kind of disappeared. He was like in every action movie. We've talked about him a bunch on the show. Oh, the guy who plays uh, Dallas. Uh, no. Dallas? No, not Dallas. Um, Michael Bean. Yes. I'm sure everyone listening is like, Michael Bean, you fucking jackasses. <laughs> yeah, jackass! Okay, anyway. So, this is our, yeah, our, our moment of uh, awe of Chris Sarandon and the things that he's done. And you, uh, you need to be talked about more. Absolutely. I'll, also, apparently, Susan Sarandon's ex-husband, which I did not know. I thought they were, like, related. But Oh, I thought he was a brother. Really? No, it's, they they got married before they became famous and then uh, divorced. Probably because she's a, a super crazy socialist dingbat. Lunatic? Um, yeah, she's, uh, she, she has some opinions that are extraordinarily far left. Um, but I don't, I'm not sure if that's why he left. But it's interesting that she kept his name. Hmm. So, anyway, uh, William Ragsdale, who uh, is the star of the movie, and yet managed to be one of the manages to be one of the most annoying characters in the entire fucking movie. <laughs> I'm like, are you shitting me, bro? Yeah, I was. Uh... I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things that he did. I mean, it's weird because he was right. His assumptions were right, but there was so much vagueness in him making the assumptions that, like, you kind of see the vampire's point. Like, leave me alone, dude. And and also the way he goes about it. You know, it's... Have, have you ever had that friend that can't focus on anything for more than, like, five minutes? What were and you then- and then they're immediately completely locked up in something else after five minutes, and it's like they they can't they can't concentrate. But when they're on something, they're on they they are completely locked in for like five minutes, and then after that, then they're completely locked into something else, and nothing you do or say will divert their attention away from what they're locked into at that moment in time. But they can't seem to be locked on to any you know to anything for more than like thirty seconds. I like porgs. I really like porgs. Porgs are nice. What were you saying? Exactly. And then, like, in five minutes, you'll be like, oh, 
those motorcycles are fantastic. I love those motor. I'm gonna go get a motorcycle, and I'll be like, "What about Porsche?" You're like, "What about them?" Oh, this motorcycle. So yeah, he not only is like eighty style pressuring his sweet innocent virginal girlfriend to have sex and then getting mad at her. <laughs> then when she gives in, he's not even fucking paying attention. <laughs> like, and like is what? If that yeah, like who thought that was a good character trait to add to this character that you're supposed to like? Like because everything about this guy was douchey. Yeah. What's surprising is, and I didn't put two and two together, is he's Herman from Herman's Head. I didn't even realize that. Yeah. I was like, what? So, we have a, the something we're used to at this point. The un, the, I guess they tried to make him the cool version trying to have sex mm-hmm. in this movie, but it just made him, by today's standard, and really by probably back then standard too, uh, douche canoe. Desperate and creepy. So, uh, that's Amanda Bierce, who uh, is one of my weirder crushes. I'm not going to lie. Me too. There is a, I have a very long litany of 80s crushes from when I was a kid that turned out to be lesbians. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Her being one of them, Kelly McGillis was one, but I think everyone had a crush on Kelly McGillis after Top Gun. Um. There was a couple others, um, but she – I didn't – I never put two and two together back then. I forgot that she was in this and, of course, mm-hmm. Marcy Darcy. Yep, and she is absolutely adorable in this movie. But... Mm-hmm. And she is apparently from Winter Park, which I did not know. Yep. And I might have a restraining order on me now. Probably. Uh, Roddy McDowell. So, yes, Planet of the Apes, Roddy McDowell. That Roddy McDowell. Yeah. As Peter Vincent, uh, named after what uh, Vincent Price and Peter. Yep. And Peter was named after someone, too. Um, I wrote it down, but I didn't find it. Uh, I'm looking. It was, uh, it's a famous person. Um Thank you. No, not that, Peter. Um, I have, like, notes in, like, five different places because of our, like, false start thing. Peter Piper. Peter yeah. Parker. Peter Griffin. You're, you're doing the exact opposite of helping. <laughs> Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater. <laughs> Peter Cushing, dipshit. <laughs> Uh, um so they they i guess try they wrote this character and i the thing that really made the movie come together they said and we haven't really talked too much about the plot yet ironically we'll get to it but the the whole thing was that this kid thinks that there's a vampire living next door none of his friends mom etc believe him so he decides that he's going to reach out to the local tv host which is going to mean something to us later yeah, because he actually kills vampires. And again, how how the how fucking dumb how much of a dumbass is this kid? He's like, oh, he kills vampires on TV. He must know what it what's real. What? <laughs> Shut the fuck up, dude. <laughs> when was, really? When I was reading through a bunch of comments and stuff, and someone's like, I'm not trying to be rude here, but 
was he supposed to be special needs? Because <laughs> <laughs> it really seems like that. He's like, and I was like, you know, you have a point. <laughs> like, like, that guy's on TV killing vampires. He must know something about it. Uh, but yeah, so they were going to get actual Vincent Price, but Vincent Price was very typecast at this point, especially after Thriller. So he was not doing anything related to horror at this point. Mm-hmm. So he had moved on. Um, and uh, what else do we got? Uh, Stephen Joffreys, who I've seen in a, a couple of things, because I reckon he's got a very distinctive voice, and mm-hmm. it's super annoying. He plays Evil Ed. Yeah, so that's kind of like the buddy who yeah. becomes... Who's not really buddy. a buddy. I And I, I still didn't figure out what their relationship was, because he gives him a hard time, like, all the time. And Evil Ed kind of, like, despises him, and, like, makes him pay for shit, and... Yeah, it was like, kind of like the buddy slash bully. It's always like when you see Bart Simpson hanging out with, with uh, Nelson. Nelson, yeah. <laughs> like, why do you hang out with him? Like, that's basically it. And But then he gets upset about the... Um, the host, for some reason, he gets upset that the host wasn't really killing vampires. Um, so maybe it's like two special needs dudes running around killing vampires. I don't, I don't, I don't. I want to. I want to see that movie. <laughs> Dumb and Dumber doing vampires. Right. Where are you, Jim Carrey? That's the movie we want. We're on the short bus to hell. I'm on the, hear the most annoying sound in the world. <laughs> um, so anyway, and uh, Jonathan Stark plays Billy Cole, the the live-in uh, vampire helper. So, um, and Dorothy Fielding is uh, Charlie's mom. Judy ah, yeah, yeah, Judy Brewster. Okay, so do you want to do a quick synopsis of this sure. thing? Uh, the the basic lo- down and dirty synopsis is the teenager discovers that the newcomer in his neighborhood is a vampire, so he turns to an actor in a television horror show. For help dealing with the undead. Because that fucking makes sense. Yeah. I'm not a vampire killer, but I play one on TV. Yeah. Uh so basically that yeah, there's this guy that shows up, all the clues point to him being a vampire. Uh there's some threats that are made, and you know, then eventually they decide to hunt him down. Uh, friends get turned. Mothers yeah. get threatened. Uh, I I will say that all in all, it's it's not a bad movie. I mean, I actually own it. I and like I like I stated before. I mean, I I really did forget how incredibly annoying and over the top reactionary Charlie and Charlie is, and he's just he, he's kind of a douche. And <laughs> if I was a vampire living next door to him, I'd I'd probably have tried to kill him also. This movie scared the shit out of me as a kid. Really? I, I saw it when I was young, like really young. Mm. <clears throat> I think it was like a sleepover or maybe a birthday party like where we went to the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Um, or I don't – it might have been on HBO or something, but either way. This movie was my vampire lore. Like, you know, every every – person that takes on vampires has like a different way they can be killed or mm-hmm. you know way of protecting yourself from them or like you you know you can't let them if you say they can come in the house they can come in the house but if not you know what it is 
there's always different things. And I think that for most of my childhood, this movie really spelled out what the lore was. Like, the you have to believe for the cross to work. Right, and, and that's actually, I don't think that that's an actual thing in most vampire lore. I think that's like a, a thing strictly to this movie, is it not? Which I, I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I think so too. I thought so too. It's kind of like it's kind of like Santa Clausing the uh, the cross. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like the movie Santa Claus. So like, and, and he says it a couple of times in the movie. Cause, you know, somebody puts up a cross and he kind of laughs at him, mm-hmm. and he's like, "You have to have faith for that to work on me." Mm-hmm. Which and is cool. and it also it also makes for a nice moment when the the person who he's saying it to a little bit later finds their faith in the movie. So it makes that that moment kind of impactful later in the movie when he actually finds his faith. I think, yeah, as me being someone that doesn't really believe in much supernatural stuff, I think that if I actually met a vampire, my faith would immediately kick in. Like, okay, well, if this is true. (laughs) So (laughs) this must be true also. (laughs) Well, so, like, I've said this before. I was the young kid on the block growing up. So, like, and I was significantly younger. So all the older kids would, like, tell me like random crap so like i i remember after seeing this movie saying like oh i always i feel like i can feel their teeth going into my neck like Mm -hmm. the vampires um and they were like all of the kids in the neighborhood had me convinced that i actually was bitten by a vampire and that they were seeing me run around outside at night Mm -hmm. and that i was just not remembering it because i was out like in vampire fury but i was like you you know seven (laughs) You had shitty friends, and you were really kind of gullible. Yeah, I don't like people. (laughs) So it was that, and then... Yeah. And then on top of that, like, this whole belief thing, I was like, well, I'm Jewish. I can't, like, protect myself. Like, you know, and they were like, whoa, the vampire's going to get you. I'm like, no, I can get across. Like, no, you don't believe in that. Fuck. (laughs) Damn it. Now that I can, mm. I'm going to have to find those people and ruin their lives. Yeah. Plant eh. random garden gnomes in their lawn. That'll teach them. Oh. Yeah, I was going to frame them for, like, a murder. Sure, that works but too. your idea is fine. Probably <laughs> better. Oh. And then and then there was the the whole questionable thing about the... the un- well, and here's the other thing, is that... He, with the whole faith thing, he actually kind of specifies that you have to have faith for that to work on me. Meaning that it sounds like he's a little bit more of a powerful vampire because he the cross worked fine on his minion. Like when, mm-hmm. when he turned evil, the cross worked fine and it actually damaged him and made it unhealable. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's true. So the fact that it worked on the minion didn't really mean anything because he was a little bit more powerful. Mm-hmm. And also the, the non-healing damage was a nice touch too. Yeah. And it led to some really good makeup effects. Yeah. I did think it was kind of interesting. Like you said, the vampire is more powerful, which leads me to believe that the vampire has been around for a long time. Cause that's mm-hmm. usually the, the way they go. Um, the dude makes a lot of mistakes. Like he's gotten very lazy in the, eh, I'll just murder this girl in the front of the open window. Next mm-hmm. to the neighbor, next to the house of the neighbor that I've seen spying on me with binoculars, yeah. Like, like this guy is not a good vampire. He's not particularly 
a wise vampire. Well, but he's also, I mean, to an extent, I see the, the, he's so powerful, he doesn't really care kind of vibe, you know what I mean? So he's too big for his, he's too big for his britches? He's, he's lost the, the sense of self-preservation because he's used to being the alpha predator. There you go. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, uh, you, you said, as I said, that it's a very strong rear window vibe mm-hmm. to it, mm-hmm. which, yeah, I can, I can see that. I can definitely, you know, anytime you just got a kid look or anyone looking out of a window with binoculars. Ignoring the naked girl in his bed. Yeah. The, this movie is one of, was actually sort of kind of written and thought of as a horror comedy because horror comedies were a big thing around this time yeah because of ghostbusters doing so well and i i can see that i just don't because in my opinion i think charlie is supposed to be the comedy and Mm -hmm. to me he just doesn't come off as funny he comes off as annoying as shit yeah well i think that in my mind the guy sat down to write a horror comedy and ended up writing something that was like significantly better yeah and just was like okay i'm not gonna try to fit um comedy actually so here's He's the not i do force the comedy in. yeah so i do have some information on the development of this movie um when so this movie was written at the same time that tom holland the director slash writer wrote the script for the movie cloak and dagger slash spider-man which is another great movie well that's a movie from my childhood cloak and dagger yeah so he was writing cloak and dagger and when he needed like a brain break he would write he he conceived the idea of a horror movie fan becoming convinced that his next-door neighbor was a vampire. But he didn't think that this premise was enough to sustain the story. What's he going to do, Holland asked, because everybody's going to think he's mad, which is basically what happened. Right. The story percolated in his mind for a year, and one day while discussing it with um, the head of the story department of Columbia Pictures, he was like, he figured out what he would do. It's like, well, if I if it was me, I would reach out to Vincent Price. Uh, in that era, many local affiliates in the United States had horror hosts. Perhaps the most famous are Zachary and the nationally syndicated Elvira. So anyway, he decided that he would create Peter Vincent, who was supposed to be an expert on these things, to yeah, kind of guide him through. And uh, yeah, they were when they started working on it. Him and the these people, they were like they were laughing their ass off at how ridiculous this was, and. It turned out that you know he had really two well written movies at the same time. I guess just a little bit of a kind of a cool little thing. Yeah. Um. What? So we talked about the effects. What do you think? Um, I will say the makeup was actually really good. the The practical special effects were decent. There's there's a there's a couple of really long death sequences that actually make really decent use of of special uh makeup special effects they have like reversing melting stuff right or they're just uh, melting stuff in they were just melting stuff yeah yeah and um you, you know with the exception of the dog puppet that's crawling across the floor <laughs> which actually was maybe where the comedy was but um there's some really long death sequences that are actually pretty decent as far as the special effects. Yeah, the dog thing came out of nowhere. Like, yeah, I was like, "Oh shit, he can shapeshift now." 
Yeah, so Evil Ed, his buddy, gets bitten. And we'll say buddy, but he's more of his bully. Gets bitten and immediately is able to shapeshift into a wolf. But like I said, when I first saw this movie, this became my vampire lore. So I was like, oh, vampires can shapeshift into wolves. That's um, actually, that's not the first time that I'd heard that. That is a thing. Yeah, I, oh, definitely. Like, it's just interesting that how they picked and choose. Um, right. Well, the vampires always shapeshift into a bat. That that was always the thing. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So they did have shapeshifting, like, on the roster. It just wasn't necessarily the wolf. But, yeah, like, I, they... I've heard I've heard wolf. I've heard, like, mist. I've heard, you know, various other things. So... Mm-hmm. There's what other things they do cross the crosses faith thing is mm-hmm. a, a changed version of the lore, uh, stakes they use stakes, mm-hmm. um, stun or the sun. Did by the way, did you notice? Because I started laughing really hard in the in the first like one of the opening sequences of the movie where he's got Peter Vincent on in the background. Mm-hmm. Peter Vincent in the movie goes to stake a female vampire who's about to bite somebody and he raises the stake and the hammer above his head and marches into the room and the stake is fucking backwards so the point is like behind his head so the point is aiming at the hammer i thought that was so fucking hilarious i was like oh my god that is totally a b-horror movie thing to do too and i and i gotta believe it was intentional oh yeah if he was figuring out that if you know sarandon took the time to figure out that the vampire is going to eat apples all the time because he's part fruit bat i'm sure that other stuff was done too Mm -hmm. um what else they do uh the the cross damage it's very interesting just i think the the lore part of this like totally got me the other the actually the other thing that scared me about this was the idea of certain things like lasting forever you know like you got this sweet girlfriend, and then she gets bitten by a vampire, and now it's not only gone, but she still exists in a different form. Now, obviously, something's changed, but mm-hmm. and like I, that freaked me out, and like the the threading the mom and stuff like that, like some dip, and you know when I was a kid, it was like if something if I did something stupid, which I'm sure I did, and it just affected me, fine. But if I did something stupid and I like ran into my parents' car or broke a window or something and like messed with my parents, or got stuff, your mom eaten by a vampire. Like, again right um then i would have been like oh god like i am a terrible son <laughs> yeah <laughs> now my mother is an is an undead blood sucker god damn it um so yeah we did have a lot of do we actually talk about this off on the air when we we're talking about the, the calling the police next door and then no i don't think we did yeah, this is the real reason why we think we keep on talking about Charlie being a uh, a douche canoe. Goofball. Yeah, go ahead. Well, he calls the police, and I don't I don't remember this being police procedure in the in the eighties, but he called the police to report what he thought was a murder, and the police are like, "Oh, sure, your neighbor who you think murdered this lady." Well, come on over to the house with us so that we can say, this boy thinks he saw you carrying a body out of your house. And and he shows up, and the guy lets him in, and he's like, do you mind if we look around? And the guy's like, oh, sure, whatever. And while the cop is talking to the the houseboy, uh, whatever his name is. Um, uh, Leon. 
I believe. Leon. Which is weird because that's my live-in house boy's name. Is it? Is it yeah. Leon? Because I thought I thought he was the. Um, was it Leon? Wasn't he Billy Cole? Uh, maybe it was. Why do I have Leon written? Oh, Leon was. I'm sorry. Leon was in Dog Day Afternoon. That's why I wrote oh. that down. Sorry. <laughs> um. Yeah, so the the cop is talking to the to the servant, and Charlie is just fucking wandering around the house, rifling through his belongings. I'm like, what the fuck is that? You randomly just walk into people's houses with the police and then just start rifling through their shit? <laughs> ah, this looks old and valuable. <laughs> like, start smashing shit on the floor. What the fuck? Is that a thing? But I don't I don't remember like when you called to report a murder that the police were like, "Yeah, come on over to this drug dealer's house with me." We'll say that, "Yeah, you this guy is accusing you of murder. Do you have any dead bodies in your house?" "No, okay, thank you very much." <laughs> what? <laughs> As the drug dealer's looking at you like, "Oh, I know yeah, where right? your mom works." <laughs> like what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Um we, the the vampire gets pissed at some point and starts hunting uh, Charlie a little bit and like making threats and stuff and there's and even taunting him some yeah yeah and it's there's a couple of really interesting parts here one uh, he pins him to a like to a wall by his throat mm-hmm. which apparently kind of kicks him up and carries him. apparently he was on a dolly at the time which is how they did that um, so Sarandon was actually wheeling him on a dolly as he held him by his throat. Um, you get a, the nice little pencil through the hand stab, mm-hmm. which in a way kind of lets you know that maybe wood is a little bit of his weakness, just like you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you love you some wood. I do. <laughs> um, Here's the so you get, Wait, what? <laughs> so you get a little bit of that where, you know, he gets a little kind of freaked out. Um, and that's like when the threat becomes real because, you know, again, there's that whole thing of like you can't. You have to invite the vampire in, but... And he tricked Mom into doing it. Yeah. And, all of the, you know, there's some... There's a window nailed shut as well. So, which is, you know, for, like, extra protection. So And and I love that they actually... That they actually just, like, dismiss that. Because he's in the house. And while he's in Charlie's room holding him by the throat with one hand, he casually reaches down and just flicks the window open. Like nails and all, just like rips the whole thing open, basically showing his strength and how the the nails and shit didn't matter. He just like, whoosh. you know, yeah, yeah, no, it was. I agree. And I'm using it as a weapon in a way, you know. Um, what else? Oh, I did. <laughs> I was wondering where they were, because like. He was, you know, we got to get this this vampire TV show guy, and they like just drive to where it is, and so it's like in his town. So I'm assuming this was he was supposed to be in California, um, very much on a lot, which actually I, I think that was the Warner Brothers lot because I'm pretty sure I've been on it, where like his actual house was, because um, they show a couple outdoor shots where I'm like, yeah, this is definitely a film lot. But he's like, yeah, we need to go talk to him, and they just like next thing and there are at the studio but that was kind of interesting mm-hmm. and and he's that's walking convenient. around outside pacing like a lunatic when he's trying to meet peter vincent for the first time and then he like gets all up in his face you have and, to help me my neighbor's a vampire yeah 
Peter Vincent conveniently just was recently fired, I believe. Yep. From a show. Because vampires are like, no one believes in vampires anymore. Like, I, I do. My neighbor's a vampire. Oh, dear. Okay. Um, well, I have to go now. <laughs> right? He's like, he's like, aren't you a little bit old for a, for a Make-A-Wish kid? Are you just coming down here to talk to me about vampires? <sighs> yeah. So, um, I guess we're, we're kind of at, at the end, unless there's some other things you want to, to hit on. Um, no, I mean we we touched on a lot of it. Um, the the movie itself, like like I said, is 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 really enjoyable. It's it's a good flick. It's worth watching. Chris Sarandon is amazing in the movie, and him, there's there's a scene between him and Amanda Beers where they have some amazing chemistry. The dancing, yes. And it's like wow. All right, okay. The the people that made this movie like this movie. So sometimes with older movies, people are like, oh, that was when I was young. I don't like it. Um, a lot they there is no official from what I read. I, I it was hard to understand, but there's no official commentary track for this movie. The actors went ahead and did one anyway, as like kind of unofficially, and it ended up on some release. Oh, nice. Um, but it was not like. I don't know. It, it, there, there was a lot of talk about how it wasn't official. Uh, Amanda Beers actually was willing to do it, but she there was she was like filming something else, or she wasn't able to do it. Mm-hmm. I think they did it at like a, a horror convention or something. Oh, so like, gotcha. Okay. Um, so maybe they did oh. like a, a screening and did it, but it, I couldn't find it, which sucks because it'd be very interesting to hear what the, what everyone had to say. Now there there was one other thing that I did want to talk about. Okay. We have to talk about the ending too. So when was the last time you were in a basement that had that many fucking windows? My basement growing up had one little rectangular window that was ground level. Mm-hmm. Like you could actually see the grass kind of at the bottom of it. Yes. And then it had a one window in the door out leading out. And it seemed like this entire basement was windows. Yeah, it was, like a gre- it was like a greenhouse basement. Yeah, I'm like, what the... F- <laughs> How many fucking windows are in this basement? Because that's, I mean, spoiler alert, that's how they kill him. They bust out all the windows in the basement and expose him to sunlight. But it's like, they're busting out like 16 windows. I'm like, how are there that many windows in the basement? What is going on? So let's see, our, our evil vampire has turned evil Ed into, our vampires turn evil Ed into a, a kind of feral wolf vampire. He seduces uh, the girlfriend, Allie, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And turns her into a vampire. Yep. And there's like some sort of ritual going on. His familiar has apparently been turned into a vampire too, right? No. Nah. I think his familiar is actually a ghoul. And what is your definition of a ghoul here? Because there was something weird about him, and I forget what it was. Undead. Okay. He's he's actually undead, but he's not hurt by sunlight. I don't. Gotcha. So that he takes they take care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, the the TV show host barely surviving most of these things because he's mm-hmm. eight hundred ninety seven years old. Yep. Um. And then they somehow get the main character, the main vampire down into the basement because, you know, assuming, I guess he's going to go to his, uh, his coffin down there. So they break a bunch of windows and torch him. And 
I guess this is one of those things where once the leader vampire dies, people start going back to normal. Kind of. Yes. When the one that that's not that's not unheard of in vampire lore. Um, if you kill the the head vampire, the ones that have been the ones that have been turned or that haven't completely turned revert to normal. Gotcha. I want to do like a whole vampire lore episode where we can like look at weird things between like True Blood and this and Once Bitten and Interview with the Vampire and all that stuff. Um, so yeah, they they kill him. Awesome special effects. We talked about that a little bit. You know, there's a lot of melting. There's a lot of makeup effects. A lot of, I think after they saw American Werewolf in in London, they were like, okay, we can actually make people do changes on screen. So there's a lot of that. And it all looks pretty good. Um, this was an enjoyable watch. You know, it's definitely... We usually ask, should you, like, remake it or revisit it or whatever? Um, or revive it? Totally revive? Um, um, yes. This this needs a revive... Because this does not need to be remade. I mean, they've already, they've already remade it, obviously. But... And it's not even... Like, we run into these movies all the time where we're like, well, that wouldn't fly today. There's really not much in there that is not PC at all. Like, you know, the mom says, well, the neighbors might be gay, but that's not offensive. Yeah, I, I don't even think we had the gay slur that was so prevalent yeah. in the 80s. Yeah, we had no gay slurs. We had no... We, I mean, we do have the guy pestering the virgin. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been dating for three months and I can't even touch your boobs. <laughs> yeah. Was it three years or three months? You know, I don't remember. I thought it was... I, I tuned out a lot of what he was saying because he was so fucking annoying. Fine, I'll show you my boobs. Where are you going? I want to stare at my neighbor. <laughs> Look at his rippling muscles. Exactly. As he carries this coffin into his house late at night. So, yeah. Um, I say, you know, a revival because we have the ability to, you know, watch this on various streaming services and all that and it's totally worth it um and it's it's an interesting little movie it's has some scary parts um and it is uh is good uh did you figure out the budget and the box office stuff the budget of this movie was approximately nine million nine million and it grossed uh just about 25 million nice explains why they got a you know Explains why they got a uh, a sequel, and you know, you know yeah, how it, it works out. It, it doubled its money. Yep, or more than doubled its money. So, just you know, we like to do the history stuff. The hist, the history um, is okay for for this day. It's it's one of those. I always wonder when looking at the history because some of the stuff takes forever. Um, there was an anti-apartheid act. It had its first run through. So basically. Um, Yes, of course, South Africa had apartheid going on. Uh, Mandela it was obviously a very racist society, and the House of Representatives overwhelmingly actually voted for this act, but but Reagan threatened to veto it. Um, that was this that was on this day, but it actually did pass. I believe largely unchanged a year later, uh, when the numbers came back, and it was not only did 
you know, every single Democrat and Republican in the House want it, but all of the people that were voting for them wanted it too. Um, they announced that they were actually going to make a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on this date. Right. And uh, there was a Baseball Hall of Famers number that was uh, retired. Do you know who? And I'm going to do a reference here too. You better get it. He's number 10. No, that's Phil Rerudo. Phil Rizzuto? Yeah, Phil Rerudo. Rerudo? Yeah, you've never seen Billy Madison? Where he's taunting the kindergarten teacher about writing on the board, and she's like, you know, because he's like getting him to write in cursive. So she's like, okay, fine, spell Rizzuto. And he can't do cursive Zs, so he writes Rerudo, and she's like, Rerudo? He's like, those are Zs. She's like, no, they're not. <laughs> now sit down. So that's the only thing I really know for Phil Rizzuto for. And his uh, infomercials for something. But that's that was the history. Uh, what did this movie go up against? Well, funny you should ask. Because this movie actually debuted at number three. Not bad. Any guesses as to the two movies that beat it? So this was August of what, 85? August of 85. One was in its, the the number two movie was in its second week, and the number one movie was in its sixth week. And when you were talking about... Back to the Future? Back to the Future was number one, sir. You are correct. That was a guess. Nice guess. I don't know that you'll get number two. But when I when I tell you what it is, you'll be like, "Oh, okay." Uh, what What's the genre of the movie? Comedy. Comedy from '85. I want to say like Working Girl or something, but that's not going to be it because that was earlier. Yeah. Nine to five was earlier. Short Circuit. Yeah, that was '86, I think. Okay, what was it? National Lampoon's European Vacation. Ah. Uh... European. I'm a pian. <laughs> and Fright Night was number three. Number four, another movie that I would love to do at some point in its first week in release, Weird Science. Oh, nice. Number five was the Walt Disney movie, Black Cauldron. Uh, number six was Follow That Bird. Number seven was the re-release of E.T. Number eight was Cocoon. Nine was Silverado. And number 10 in its fourth week. Two men enter. One man. Ooh. Thunderdome. Yep. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome was number Man, for freaking Cocoon was always the most disappointing thing because, like, you'd have to wait between. You'd, like, turn on HBO because we actually had HBO. Mm-hmm. As a kid, we turn it on. You'd like hit the credits of a like the end credits of a movie, and it would go all the way through. And then they do the da, 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 where it was like the camera was flying around the city mm-hmm. and stuff like that, showing you the next up. And then yeah, they would do that. And then like you'd see the next up, but like you're always as a kid hoping like oh you'd be Star Wars or be something awesome, and it was always fucking Cocoon. And you were like, like fuck, like I don't want to deal with these like old people movies. Come on, give me a good movie. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, so I think that leads us to our question. Uh, do you want to know the music? 
Oh, the, oh yeah, sorry. Me, forgetting the music. What is wrong with me? Go ahead. Number 10, Who's Holding Donna Now from DeBarge. Number 9, Get It On, Bang A Gong from The Power Station. Uh, number 8, Sentimental Street. 7, oddly enough, a movie that's been, or uh, from a movie that was out the same number of weeks. The Power of Love, Huey Lewis and the News. Back to the Future was number 1. This is number seven. Nice. Number six, Never Surrender, Corey Hart. Number five, Glory Days from Bruce Springsteen. Number four, You Give Good Love from Whitney Houston. Number three, If You Love Somebody, Set Them Free from Sting. Number two, Every Time You Go Away from Paul Young. And number one, you got a guess? Eight weeks on the chart. Number one hit for Tears for Fears. Everybody wants to rule the world? Nope. Shout. There it is. Sting, potential murderer, by the way. Ooh. I'm still not that far into uh, only murderers in the building, uh, but he's one of the suspects in that. Oh, and, excellent. Yeah. So uh, that is our movies. Nice. Well, or we music. We do a thing on the show that is why we it's do called. Do a thing. The give me you said doo-doo. I said doo doo. <laughs> Why it's called the Give Me Five podcast? Usually we have other people that answer this que- these questions, but uh, they have failed us. They have we still love them. And I don't even think Omar sent us his list. I told him to send us his list, and he didn't send us his list. Yeah, he's probably sm- angrily smashing his internet at the moment. So and he's, and he's drinking. Fine. Probably and shouting in Romania. Yeah, yeah, smashing like. Yeah, he's definitely angry at the internet. I picture him in, like, a white-ribbed muscle shirt with, like, hair sticking out the top and a gold chain, like, holding a bottle of vodka in one hand, smashing his computer with the other, and shouting Romanian. It's like you have a camera in his house. (laughs) So, anyway, our question of the week, we we do is top five questions. And usually, um, we, we have our patrons are allowed to answer it, things like that. Um, this one was a little bit hard because we've done we've done things like best vampire movie or most interesting vampire lore uh, changes. I think we did once um, horror movies, horror comedies. Mm-hmm. We've done all of that stuff. We've been doing this for a while. So I was writing down a bunch of different things. Uh, one of the ones I actually thought about was the. Uh, the thing where you defeat one and all of the like henchmen give up or shut down like the Avengers first Avengers movie people up right. the, the thing all of and, the and one that I thought of was like the uh, your favorite death sequence yeah but we ended up some on, pretty decent ones we ended up on your favorite horror hosts both real and made up because I didn't think there were that many of them and then I found a list of like a hundred of them like holy crap I didn't realize that was much of a thing but. But they apparently it was it was a big thing, but it was very regional. Mm-hmm. Like you knew who was in your area, but that was essentially it. I want to say that maybe Elvira was the one that that was like nationally syndicated. Uh, she was, yeah. The first the first one was apparently. Well, we'll get to that. Okay. Um. So I guess I will Vampire. go first. Yes. Yes. I will go first, and. 
this for very few people are going to know who what the hell I'm talking about, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to go with as a honorable mention HR Blood and Guts. Ah, Halloween Horror Nights. Yep. And you know, you can explain. Go ahead and explain that one. HR Blood and Guts is a is a is a character who is a host of a of a late night horror show, and I guess he gets canceled and he goes insane and just starts killing all the people in the studio. And like sets him up, and you have that's part of the haunted house, right? Um, was he also the part of the ho- the holiday one too? He was. He actually had a scene. He he had a scene in one of the houses this year. Yeah, yeah. So he is one of my um, honorable mentions, and of course, MST3K was on these lists as as horror hosts. Um, I can't I really not put them were. on my list, but they're more sci-fi. And yeah. they also change the movies a little bit, and I I kind of get that some of like Joe Bob Briggs does too, but still. So those are the, my two honorable mentions. Okay, uh, I just mentioned them, but number five, Joe Bob Briggs. Okay, uh, horror writer had a show in the '90s and is back on Shutter. Um, Joe Bob's Driving, which you know they play movies, talk about. It. I love that he breaks down the movies by how many kills and and. Like he explains the movies by like you're gonna see one lesbian vampire, eighteen dead dogs, and forty seven, uh, I don't know, children thrown into a blender. Like, wow. Okay, so you like know what's gonna happen in the movie. I kind of want to see that movie. Yeah, I made that up, so that's all in my warped head. Um, that's number five. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock did Alfred Hitchcock presents. Mm-hmm. He would present mm-hmm. the movie um, in black and white. He would do little like wordplay and little intro and that's how you know i knew him number three the crypt keeper mm-hmm. uh love the crypt keeper freak me out the eyeballs in a skull thing freak me out uh number two vampira vampira i don't really know her much but she was one of the first and i feel like that is we're in being one of the first ever horror hosts and a female back then mm-hmm. um kind of a big deal uh, but number and one, I'm guessing being the the inspiration for your number one, because I I bet good. I know who your number one is. My number one is the Elvira, yeah, who uh, is awesome, and she's. I've heard many many horror fans that have met her and said she is as kind and nice as as could possibly be. She loves it. She loves the fans. Uh, I forget what her name is. Like Cassandra or something, right? Cassandra Peterson. Yeah, Cassandra Peterson. Like I know I've been at, at at shows with her, but I didn't pay the price, so I didn't go like near her. You know. Gotcha. So, Elvira is number one. Fair enough. And had her own movie. She did, and she actually she actually cameoed in a couple. Yeah. Rem- you if got? you remember, she was she had a cameo in Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yep. Um, so I'll go ahead and do my list. I do have an honorable mention or two as well. Um, I'm going to give Rod Serling and Robert Stack an honorable mention for Twilight Zone and um, Unsolved Mysteries. Um, but at number five, I'm going to put Grandpa Fred, actually a a, a uh, fake one, who, who reminds me a lot, and I kind of feel like he might have been an inspiration for H.R. Blood and Guts. Because Grandpa Fred is the is the vampire the the mock vampire horror host on the network 
or the studio that is actually being attacked by the gremlins in gremlins 2 and he's the only one in the building and his his dream is to be a news anchor or a uh, a news reporter and he's doing his best to report the news while the gremlins have taken over if you remember that whole uh, that whole bit i haven't seen that movie in a while but my my number 4 is peter vincent from this movie and I swear to God, I, I, I couldn't put him in there because I could have sworn that there was a horror movie or a horror series that Vincent Price hosted. But it wasn't it wasn't a horror um, series. It was a mystery series. So it was like a drama mystery kind of thing. So I couldn't put him in there. Some more I could suspense have sworn that he had hosted. Yeah, I could have sworn that he had hosted like some kind of horror show. Interesting. Maybe that was the Mandela effect. I don't know. Um. So Grandpa Grandpa Fred is number five. Peter Vincent is number four. Number three, I've got. Um, oh, you know what? I'm gonna have to use. I, I think uh, Rod Serling actually was my number five. He was not an honorable mention. Rod Serling from The Twilight Zone was my number five, which meant which meant Peter or Grandpa Fred was number four. Peter Vincent's number three. Number two was Crypt Keeper because he. Him and Elvira were the two that I remembered from my childhood. So my gotcha. Crypt Keeper was my number two, and Elvira is my number one. Nice. Those were the first two I thought of when, when this question came up. Yeah, same. So there is apparently a documentary on uh, these things. It's called American Scary. It was from the early 2000s, so it was a, it's a little made-in-the-basement style like there's, it's got some good interviews and it's got some good information. I didn't watch the whole thing, but because um, I didn't want to pay for it, I watched some long credit, long uh, sequences from it. Um, so if you are into these horror hosts, you can look up American Scary uh, to learn more about it, and it shows some of the ones that you might not have seen because you didn't live in Ohio or California or Florida or wherever they happen to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's our episode, and. Uh, if you guys want to discuss a lot of this stuff, you can become patrons. You can. It's not very... And we just had some fun with one of our patrons this past week, which you heard at the the opening of the show, I believe. And, you know, it's just $5. You get into our patron chat. You get to meet a bunch of really cool people, uh, get to talk about movies and talk about movie news. There's a bunch of movie news conversation going on in there at the moment. Various and, other offensive things as well. Yeah. Yeah. Not for kids. But, uh... There are higher levels as well, and all of this money goes to help out the show and keep us on the air, so to speak. And we thank all of our patrons. We do, guys. And as always, we want you to give us five. You're so cool, Brewster! Oh, shit, we didn't talk about that. Like, the end of the thing. Let's do that. Yeah, you guys thought we were gone, but we're not. We're still talking. We're not gone. The movie still ends. Here. And you he, can't get rid of us. The movie ends. He try, He's finally about to get the girl, and you see these glowing red eyes outside. And well, he, he looks, does get the girl, and it and Evil Ed just tags over top of it while he's getting yeah. the girl. So apparently, Evil Ed survived the world's longest death sequence in the melting. Yeah, I don't. I don't get what they were doing there. Yeah, I don't know because I don't think he came back for the sequel. Did he? I have no idea. That I'm not sure. So, 
Now we're done. Bye then. Bye-bye.